Ads, schmads. If you don't want ads, that's okay. Choose the Dave McWilliams Plus option on Apple Podcasts. And hey, presto, no ads. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. How you doing there? It's podcast time and I am really touched. I've, <laughs> I'm here in the HQ in the basement. John comes in and he says, Macker. I have a present for you. Such a lovely thing. It's <laughs> Philip Blom's Nature, Bloom or Blom, Blom, I think. Blom, Blom. Philip Blom's Nature's Mutiny, How the Little Ice Age Transformed the West and Shaped the Present. And that's on the back of a podcast 10 or 11 days ago about Avignon and the Little Ice Age. Exactly. And the thing is, I was just saying to you there that the... Um, that's really, that's really sweet, John, buy me presents. That it sparked off my memory and my imagination, that episode, because, you know, my, my background is environmental science degree yeah. and stuff. And we kind of touched on that when we were studying but I'd kind of forgotten about it until we, we did the podcast last week. And it's a fascinating period from a, a natural history perspective. But here's a thing as well that I, I discovered when I started reading more into it. You should see his face. He's all excited now. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more. Stradivarius. You know Stradivarius? The, violin. the violins. Yeah. And they're fabulous violins and they're, they're renowned as the most beautiful sounding violins. The reason why they sound so gorgeous is because they're made from wood, from trees that were growing during this period of the Little Ice Age. Okay. And because of the cold, the trees are growing so slowly. Yeah. And because the trees grow, grew so slowly, the wood became denser and so gave this particular tone. Oh, so it's this kind of rich tone is because the dense wood. Completely unique. Exactly, exactly. So are Stradivarius violins, they were only made at a certain period in time, were they? Well, because of so well, Str- I didn't know Stradivarius that. I did not was around know that. in the I didn't know that. 17th, 18th century. Okay, so, so it's about the dense wood of the Stradivarius. See, apparently so. I mean, it's all about, you know... You the talk- podcast that keeps giving, John. The well, podcast that keeps giving. John, we'll definitely come back to this, this whole area of the environment, climate change, the economy, the interaction, the, as we always say, the complex ecosystem yeah, that yeah. is the world. And when things change... We should get Philip Blom on, actually. Sure, why don't we get Philip Blom? He's probably on Twitter. We'd probably, we'll probably annoy him on Twitter, or X, yes. as it's called. <laughs> I can't call it X. Oh, I can I? I know. But we're going to call it Twitter because it's going to be a bit like the Point Depot, you know? Only the Point so Depot. Yeah, the yeah, point. yeah, yeah. And oh, Lansdowne oh, Road. Yeah, Lansdowne Road. Twitter. Exactly, on Twitter. But speaking of old school Lansdowne Road and Twitter, do you know that 
this year is the 40th anniversary of the birth of the dart, John. Is it? Is it yes. really? The dart came into being. And the reason we're going to talk about this is we're going to talk about why Ireland has not progressed in certain areas, right? Particularly the areas of public investment over the last 40 years. Right. DART came into being on the 22nd of July, 1984, right? Right, okay. okay. So it's, it's the 40th anniversary. And in the last 40 years, we've built hardly any public infrastructure in this country. The economy has grown enormously. The population has grown enormously. But the last bit of decent rail infrastructure, urban yeah. rail infrastructure, with the exception of the Lewis, which is a tram. Yeah. And it's only two lines. It's yeah. not a tram system, right? Was the dart. And do you remember that you and I got the dart on its very first day? Did we? We did, yeah, from Salt Hill Station. And the reason we got on Salt Hill, because it wasn't a station before. That's right. It used to That's be the right. back way into Seapoint, yeah. right? And it was never a station. It used to be a hotel yeah. in Salt Hill. Yeah. But I was fascinated. Jeez, oh, you have a great memory, Mike. I'm telling you, I'm fascinated. But I was thinking, I was remembering why we did it and why I was home. I went to London yeah. in the summer, straight after the Leaving Cert. Yeah, because you just done the Leaving Cert. Yeah. I was about to start about Leaving Cert. And yeah, I'd yeah. gone to London... And I got a flat. I was in a flat, right? And I'd met these Canadians, these French That's Canadians. Right. Yes. And, yeah, yeah, and I, I moved this. into a flat and there was all sorts of exotic creatures in the flat. And I, I was like a little boy in a sweet shop, yeah. right? And I remember I really fancied this French girl. Really, mm. really fancied. She was so sophisticated in French in the whole right. And, but my mother wanted me to go... <laughs> My mother wanted me to become a national she school teacher. My mother she wanted me to become a national school teacher. Yes. Right? Yeah. So imagine this is before yeah. mobile phones. So you went to London and you never spoke to anybody. You never spoke to your ma at all. But she wanted me to become a national school teacher. Yeah. And the last thing I ever wanted to do in my life was to become a national Following school teacher. Following the footsteps of, of the, my mother. So my mum's a teacher, right? Yeah, she says, yeah. Good job. You can yeah. basically train a GAA team and, yeah. and, and become a school teacher. Yeah. And you're off in the summer. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And I thought to myself, the last thing that I want to do in my world. I was reading Solzhenitsyn to get out of Ireland, right? But of course, my mum wasn't aware of this. And in fairness, it was, it's like all mothers are trying to do the best for you, mm, right? Mm. But I remember I was working in as a barman, like the worst barman in the whole world, in a place called the Royal Kensington Hotel. I'd blag my way into a job. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a payphone in the hotel that my dad rang the week before this July 23rd. And he said, you have to come home. Your mother's beside herself. I said, I'm not coming home. She says, you've got an interview. You've got an interview for the National School Teachers Training College in Carysford. Yeah, no, right? David, you have to, you come, have to home. come home. I said, I'm not coming home. And I said, okay. And my Make dad me. said, my dad, my dad always pleaded with me. And he yeah. was always, he pleaded. And yeah, he was the softy. He was, he was always the softy. And he says, look, come on, just be nice to your mom, whatever. So I came home to do that interview. And I remember the day of the dart, right? So it was a big day in Dublin. I remember going to the interview and all I could think of was, was fancying this French girl. And I go in and I look at my future in front of me and there was a nun with an accordion. It was the Melosian. It was the, the Melosian. There was a nun with a fucking Melosian. And she asked me to sing a song, Osgueliga. And the song I remember was a song that I had to read there and then and then sing it called On Colleen Jas Crucian Amo, yeah. which means the nice little girl who milks cows, right? <laughs> Can you imagine? My, my, my life drains away from me, okay? 
And it went, I remember the yeah. words, Tablino ni smogum eg eistot, de colin di lisuk mavron, o cosaglum giogel nekleta, on colin. So, right, okay. Still has it. He I, still has it. I'm traumatized. I'm traumatized by this, right? So, I'm sitting there. I'm thinking of Little Miss West Paris or North Paris, yeah. right? Oh. Exactly. And all the good things yeah. that are about to arrive in my world. And I'm thinking of this nun with a melodion. And of course, what I decide to do is the only way I can fail the interview is pretend I can't speak any Irish. <laughs> right? <laughs> because the whole thing was in Australia, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And even though I was really quite good at Irish at the time, and I remember explicitly failing the thing and coming back and the nun going mad. Because yeah. you just had one look at her and you just thought, it was like going on the gay burn hour or something. You know, yeah. sort of that, that Ireland, you know, yeah. awful. And I just remember going back to my mother. She said, how did it go? I said, great. I aced that. It was grand. And a massive big fail, yeah. which was wonderful. And of course, the mother was going mad. Because then I thought, she was. Because she said, I want to go to Trinity. And she says, surely Protestants go to Trinity. <laughs> I'm happy doing that. And I was like, but I want to do economics. She's like, economics is a making up. Economics is a making up subject. So my that night, that evening, mm. you and I went on our very first dart trip and I was completely traumatized. Everyone said, isn't this an amazing new piece of technology? It's amazing. You think, oh, this thing. just let me fail that fucking exam. Let me go back to little Miss France. This is the last thing I, I ever wanted it. to do. Anyway, but the point of this whole story is, John, that was 40 years ago. Right? Yeah. We were 17. We were young fellas, right? Yeah, yeah. And I wanted to get back to London as quickly as possible. But had you said to us then, that that was the last piece of proper transport infrastructure to be built that looked and felt like a modern country. In reality, you'd have said no way. Yeah. But in 40 years, we've built nothing. And the question is why? Yeah. It's like there's a part of Ireland that is doing amazingly well. You know, you think you think of all sorts of Irish companies, Irish people. The Oscars is full of paddies, you know, doing theatre, movies, yeah. everything. There's loads of... Artistic endeavors, cultural endeavors, you know, Ryanair, yeah. tech companies, everything. Mm. That's all flying. That's all accelerating forward. And then you have a whole part of Ireland that is decelerating backwards. And I think the most clear evidence of that is that the DART has not been upgraded or extended yeah. in 40 years. And in actual fact, in fairness to Irish Rail, they keep proposing things. Yeah. They keep proposing. And it's the political class and the planning system or the confusion of the two of them together, which has stymied everything. And now we have a first world economy with third world infrastructure. Well, I always find it amazing that you still can't get a train up to Donegal. Like, that's beyond me. You can't get a train from here to Dundrum. <laughs> Like the whole, you know, you're right, it's a whole county. Yeah. But you think of the Lewis, you, there's no connection between Dunleary and the Lewis. To get to Dundrum on a train. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can't. Yeah. Because the, the dart doesn't meet the Lewis at any at any yeah. place. It's right? well that's that uh, yeah, relies on buses, but it's just unbelievable. So let's talk about a new movement called era accelerationism, which are young people who are basically saying we've had enough of this carry on. And let's listen to a young man who is pushing this agenda called accelerationism. Fascinating. Originally comes from the States. There's some of its right wing, some of its left wing, but it's a new idea. His name is Will O'Brien. So let's go and talk to him. Now I am going to talk to a fascinating, a fascinating individual, Will O'Brien, 
who has set up and is part of a movement called Era Accelerationism. Now, accelerationism, we want to actually define, describe, explain where it came from, what it is, what it threatens, what it promises, all that good stuff over the course of the next 20-odd minutes, which is, again, that's a tall order, but an order we will actually achieve. But the general backdrop is the following. If you were living in Ireland, and if you look around the country and you say, hold on a second, Certain parts of this country are doing extremely well. And certain parts of this country seem to be characterized by excuses, missing targets, and lameness when it comes to executing things. You might think, well, why is this? Where is the blockage? Where is the problem? Is this country a 21st century country? Or is it a relic of the 20th century that's kind of pretending in a certain area to be progressive, to be modern, to be forward-thinking, to be future-orientated, but has been dragged back? And Will O'Brien is going to explain it all to me. Will, how are you? I'm great, David. How are you? Will, tell me about air accelerationism. Tell me about accelerationism first. Tell me what it is. And then tell me about the application when it comes to Ireland. So I suppose like to begin, accelerationism is a very broad term. It has very different manifestations in, in different ways for different groups of people. But generally speaking, the people, accelerationists, are pro-acceleration of one kind or another. Now that can go in a, a million different ways, but specifically focusing on air accelerationism, this is a movement to create a new network of competent individuals, institutions, and ideas focused on radically accelerating material progress in Ireland. So this is a homegrown initiative that positives an internal alternative vision for the future of Ireland. Air Acceleration, so we want Ireland to have the highest living standards of any country in the world. We want Ireland to be a place of abundance in the 21st century. Affordable homes, most beautiful architecture, the cheapest energy, best teachers, and highest salaries, vibrant culture. And I suppose the problem we face, if you pose anything to Irish people now, you're often met with a, we could never do that, or don't be mad. And what we're saying is we're way too low in our ambition. We need to think bigger. We need to get rid of this tall poppy syndrome here. We spent the last two centuries here in Ireland talking ourselves down and sending Irish ingenuity and culture around the world. We want to spend the next two centuries talking ourselves up, making Ireland the world's most incredible country. We want to break Ireland's preconceived notions of what Ireland is capable of. And we want Irish people to just think bigger in every domain. So what we're doing is we're creating a community for radical thinking is welcomed and encouraged. Acceleration is a mindset of abundance and ambition. And we believe everything is downstream of confidence, a well-bound team and a desire to win. So that's what we're doing at the moment. We're assembling that team of people who think this way and trying to rally them into something that we think can deliver uh, real action. Well, it's funny you talk about that. I was I was watching the, and over the course of the last couple of weeks, watching the rugby team, right? And it's just a very, very good analogy. So here you have a country that perennially underperformed in rugby and a, a pretty significant international sport. Not a major sport, we must say, but it's a significant international sport. And then due to a combination of training, ideas, strategy, confidence, and individuals coming, you know, we can actually go to France and hammer them. We can do it, right? So suddenly you get this mentality and you contrast that, I can see you're, you're wearing an FAI shirt, right? You're wearing, the, the thing about wearing an Irish soccer jersey is it has to come with a certain element of irony. And I have worn them before. I am from the generation of the Opal jersey, right? This is old <laughs> school, right? These are, I, it's terrible now when you get to a certain stage in your life where you are retro. You're, everything about you is retro, right? But so what you're saying is accelerationism. And I'm going to go on to where it comes from, the Silicon Valley, and it's got some 
certain, there's left-wing acceleration and right-wing accelerationism. But what you're saying is that it comes down to a mindset about what can be achieved using technology, using brain power, and using strategy. And it is a new political idea. Correct. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's looking at where we are now and thinking that we're stagnating in, in, in various domains. And the way out is not more of the same, but it's actually an acceleration, a step up. And that's what we're asking of people in Ireland. We're asking of Irish government, Irish culture, uh, Irish thinking that we need to step it up. So let, let's, let's look. You've identified certain bottlenecks that you believe are anti-acceleration. So let me think if the contrast to acceleration is stagnation, or not even stagnation, but moving moving at a, even not even deceleration, but moving at a very settled, normal pace. What you've identified is you think that there's an entire structure in Ireland that is wedded to the status quo and is benefiting from the status quo. And I think you've used, used the expression rent-seeking is actually doing quite well out of the status quo. Explain that to me. Correct. So yeah, it might be helpful to give maybe a bit of my background to kind of contextualize this. So I'm a startup founder currently working on a startup with aims to, uh, it's currently installed, so I can't say too much about it, but we're rewilding the ocean to remove gigatons of carbon. And previous to that, I was the first employee in the Irish scooter sharing startup Zip Mobility. So we brought um, bike sharing and scooter sharing to Ireland, the UK, mainland Europe, a number of other countries. Did that for three years before we exited about a year ago. My role in that startup was on the growth and government affairs side. So when I was in that role, I was spending a lot of time in two very different worlds, David. So, you know, day to day, I was, you know, working with my colleagues on, you know, solving difficult technical problem, thinking about go to market, uh, thinking about fundraising, building, hiring, moving forward quickly, long hours, long days and nights. And then another part of my job, like the government affairs side, you know, I spoke in the Oireachtas, I met with the Taoiseach, met with high ranking civil servants in different domains, Lord Mayors, and that sort of thing, working with nonprofits in different ways. And I noticed a very different world, the way these two worlds operated, right? You had one where, you know, in the startup world where everything was kind of like positive sum thinking, you know, people were open-minded, very high ambition, people were playing for real results, you know, really looking to create value. And then this other realm, which I couldn't really put a finger on it, but it, it seemed kind of the opposite. It was more zero sum. People were more conservative in their thinking lower in ambition and, and playing playing for status and and, and rent seeking skimming off the top was was kind of the, the attitude and and then even just spending time with these people you know you have one group of people you know who idolize people like homebrew computer club which was you know the genesis of companies like apple and thought about the future and then another one which was more interested maybe in the king's coronation or talking about things like davos and focus very much on the present gossip so just two very different worlds and i suppose then, you know, it doesn't take much to look at like, well, then where is Ireland now, right? Like, I mean, we can't do basic things, right? I mean, like, you know, I'm in my 20s. Many of my best friends have left the country to go to London or Australia. They can't afford rent. They can't buy homes. Like, these are basic things, homes. You know, that's housing. On the healthcare side, Ireland has the longest waiting lists in Europe. You know, we had a cybersecurity hack there last year that you ask anybody in cybersecurity, it should, really shouldn't have happened. So these are like the basic things we're not getting done. Sure, and as John and I were talking earlier on about the DART and public infrastructure and exactly. building, building the metro and the children's hospital and all these all these sort of things that other countries seem to be able to have a template to fix. And and the question is, is then is why? 
Yeah. And where I was at that point in my life was where I was seeing all of these amazing Irish startups doing brilliant things. You look at great Irish startups like Stripe, Intercom, companies have just gone and done incredible things. And then you look at this like kind of bunch of stagnation really, and we're seeing it mainly associated with stuff in the public sector. And essentially you just started asking the question, how can we get the people who are seemingly able to do things and achieve results and put them into the other domains where we really do need change. We really do need change in transport, housing, healthcare, all of these sorts of things. And, and that was the genesis then of, of air accelerationism. I gave a talk on this topic uh, at an AI hackathon about a year ago to people in the startup world who clearly are able to build things and asking them like, why you guys, don't you think about going more into things like public sector and affecting change? And we coalesced a, a group around that. And, and that was kind of the genesis of, uh, of the movement. And it's funny, you you mentioned when I was talking to you, the example of Guinness, so, mm-hmm. you know, a, a brand that we all know, and you're saying that actually what has kept that brand ahead of the game is, is mindset changing all the time and embracing change and going for it and having a huge ambition. Well, Guinness is one of the best case studies in the world for incredible innovation, right? So like they had a devoted in-house R&D team before any other company in the world. They were hiring chemists, mathematicians directly out of Oxford and Cambridge in the 1890s to work on whatever they wanted, as long as it was adjacent to helping Guinness in some way, shape or form. They were the first company besides American Express to set up a pension for its customers. They, you know, this whole like Silicon Valley way of like, let's give our employees a very like generous benefits, free food in the office, you know, great healthcare, housing, all that, and they will work better. People think that's like a modern, you know, something that's often to the Silicon Docs type people working in Dublin. But Guinness has been doing that since like the like 1920s. In the 1920s, they had an on-site masseuse. They had... No way. Like, <laughs> yes. And they had they housing... John estate. doesn't even have one of those yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like... Getting one though, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, we are. We are. Yeah, yeah. That's, the, that's, the, that's our next benefit. <laughs> yeah. Like anybody who's familiar with statistics will be familiar with a very relevant test called the student's T-test. And that was like invented by someone working in Guinness. It's a very useful mechanism in, in statistics. So... And this is an Irish company. We've been doing innovation. It's in our, it's in our, that's the canonical Irish company been doing innovation in R&D, you know, and that's, that's kind of how they got the leap ahead on every other. Yeah. There's a, I've I've written a whole piece on that on um, the fitzwilliam.com on the innovation of Irish, uh, the innovation behind Guinness, if anyone wants to read more about that. No, no, I will. But look, so, so we'll, let's look at the bottlenecks there. Mm -hmm. So you've identified two very, very different societies operating within one society. Where do you think the bottlenecks are? Where do you think we could make a change that could actually, what you're trying to do is liberate Ireland Mm -hmm. from these constraints? Great. I think the blatant potential is there in front of us, right? I think like all of the tools to creating a beautiful future for Ireland are are right in front of us. I think what we need to do is like, first of all, Irish people need to believe that we can do great things. I think without that, you have nothing. If we don't have that confidence within ourselves that, you know, when someone stands up and says, okay, I want to do this great ambitious thing that people actually believe them and don't knock them. You know, I think that's a first off, that's one thing we need to, we need to get straight. And, and what we're trying to do at Eric Acceleration is create a community of people who think like that. So coalescing these people who believe that, oh yeah, no, Ireland can be like the most abundant country in the world in the 21st century. You get these people together and then it's just an emergent behavior from that group, right? You get those mm-hmm. people working together in different capacities and Fundamentally, I think what this looks like and the best, I suppose, framework I've seen for this is um, there's this concept called an idea machine. It's written by a writer called Nadia Asparuov. And effectively what 
an idea machine is that it's a self-sustaining organism that contains all the parts needed to turn ideas into outcomes. So you start with a distinct ideology, then that becomes a mimetic engine that drives the formation of a community. The community's members then start generating ideas amongst themselves. They coalesce around an agenda, a prioritized agenda, and then that agenda gets turned into action through different organizations popping up within the community. So be that people, writers in the community, be that think tanks setting up that are adjacent to the community, people deciding to run for politics or whatever within that community. So I think we're currently really at stage one where we have an idea, we have a small group of people and then coalesce around that. And we can create a new group of ideas, institutions and people that want this future for Ireland. So new journalists or... Uh, Absolutely, I couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't agree more. My new journalists, get rid of all this old, old wood. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> You're not too bad, David. You're not too bad, don't worry. So new, new journalism, new intellectualism, what you're, I presume you're talking about, a new political right. structure, party, impetus. I mean, what you focus on a lot is, and I think in, in real tangible terms, things like the planning process, that's what seems to have this extraordinary ability to favour those who say no, over those who say yes. I mean, these are basic, this is what we're talking about. It's shifting from a mindset that says yes. John, it's, it's actually, it's the Molly Bloom mindset we need to shift to, which is the yes, yes, yes. At the end of Ulysses, as Joyce said, the most powerful word in the English language is yes. And it, but it's the idea to actually shift away from those who would say no all the time. Because the easiest thing to say in the world is no. But the word that actually opens up possibilities is yes. Absolutely. We need to get we need to get out of our own way. And I think a lot of that will come through, you know, lighter touch regulation on things like planning, on building things in the actual physical world. Yeah, you know, there's so much there to kind of scratch and, and, and to build out there. There's there's money on the table. Let's just say who is threatened by accelerationism in your world? Because I've read lots and lots about it. And I can see who's threatened. But who do you think is threatened? Because like a lot of movements, you have to bring people with you. You have to, as you say, to have these positive sum games that everybody can gain. Everybody can actually acquire more skills, more income, more opportunities. Who's threatened? I do believe that like if we create, you know, more abundance in Ireland and like advanced material progress, that it is like a rising tide that lifts all, all boats. But I suppose like, People who might be threatened are people who are really content at the moment, content with the way things are. People who aren't maybe in their 20s and struggling to conceive what Yeah, because I think it's quite generational as well, what you're talking about. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I think I think there is definitely like a generational divide in Ireland. I mean, the country that I've grown up in is just like an order of magnitude different to the one that my parents would have grown up in and even more different to the generation before them. And we seem to have had two generations there which just had leaps and bounds differences in the Ireland they grew up in I mean we all have our own anecdotes but it's really incredible and now we're kind of at a point where hmm, those same prospects aren't necessarily there for this generation the groups of people in their 20s well, it's, and 30s. It's interesting you, meant, you mentioned generations I was I was thinking about my grandmother my grandmother was born let's say at the, at the beginning of the 20th century in a pre-industrial pre-electric pre-motor car pre a whole host of inventions, Ireland, world. And when I think mm. of, of, of what she lived through in her generation, her generation, think about what they did. They actually abandoned an empire. 
They actually fought for independence. They actually put a new constitution in. I mean, these people were extraordinary change makers. They lived through a world where they went from silence to the radio. They went from silence to the gramophone. They went from, again, an Ireland that went dark. Imagine this at five o'clock in the afternoon to an Ireland of electricity. I mean, they were an extraordinarily adept generation. We kind of think of them as, you know, when I think back, I mean, they're dead a long time. When I think back, you think, oh, you know, they were quite conservative and they were quite this. No, they weren't actually. They lived in an extraordinary period of change and they embraced change or change embraced them and they propelled themselves so much so that they created an entirely new country. An entirely Mm -hmm. new country, an entirely new constitutional entity. And then it kind of stopped Mm -hmm. that progress. Yeah. And like, that's the kind of like the the, the frustrating thing. And that's like really like what frustrates a lot of the air accelerationists now. Because like when we look at Ireland, right, we look at uh, and and we see the potential we have, right? But we don't see us on that trajectory, right? So like you look at Ireland today, educated population, plenty of physical room to grow into. People seem to forget we used to have double the population that we have now. And that was 150 years ago, 150 plus years ago. We have unique access to markets in the US, UK, Europe, beyond. We're geopolitically stable, well-positioned. We have all the major tech companies here already. OpenAI are setting up a European HQ here. You know, the same company that's talking about spending $7 trillion on chip manufacturing. You know, why can't we have some, some, some of that here? So that here? please, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, we've got tons of offshore wind. We haven't even scratched the surface of nuclear. We have the opportunity to create an incredible regulatory sandbox for some for something like that. And we've got more soft power per capita than any other country in the world, right? We have all of this in front of ourselves. Do you think that our grandparents had that in front of themselves when they looked at... <laughs> no way. Concerned? No way. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we're saying we have that. Then let's go do it and 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 let's uh, let's try forward. John, we'll just go back to what, what Mac was saying there a little earlier. I love the positivity and the optimism of of what you're saying. But a lot of stuff that I'm reading as well is... But I'm not having it. No, 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 I I absolutely am. I'll have it in spades. But how does what you're talking about, your accelerationism, how is that different or is it different to what I've been reading about, you know, with the likes of Mark Anderson and Jeff Bezos and all those guys in their effective accelerationism, where they're talking about letting AI and technology loose without any regulation. And if it upends society, well, so be it. Yeah, yeah. So I suppose like the first thing I'd say is like, these are different movements and we're all a part of maybe like what you could term as like accelerationist, but like that's not something that like we're advocating for necessarily at like air accelerationism. Like we're not like a, a single topic. Let's focus on, you know, AI like they are. There is a broad set of views on AI within the air accelerationist camp, but we, we don't follow the, I think they they follow something like the thermodynamic principle. That no, 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 no jargon, explain that to me. <laughs> uh, I won't explain it because I don't understand it, to be honest. Oh, that's great, okay. <laughs> it sounded good though, it sounded really good. Because John and I are going to be chemists to explore the thermodynamic principle in about half yeah, an hour. Yeah, yeah. People can can read up about them more, but what I'm, what I'm saying in a nutshell here is effectively, yeah, we're different. I think what we have in common is that both movements are pro-technology. Yeah. Uh, and that's something that like we believe very, very strongly in and both are, you know, pro-growth. Uh, so so I think there's similarities there, but the specifics about their morality around AI is just, yeah, 
not something that we have. Uh, okay, that is good to hear, I have to say, because that has been bothering me greatly. I've brought this up with Macker a number of times, going, what about this? What do you think about this? <laughs> I'm just I'm just burying my, my head in the sand, saying, it'll be fine, John, it'll be grand, don't worry. Technology be all good. But the interesting thing is, like, how can you be anti-technology if you look at the history of humanity? John, remember we were talking about Stanley Kubrick's opening scene yes. in yeah, yeah, yeah. Space Odyssey, where the, the big ape who figures out that using a femur to bash somebody in the head is a tool that might give him or her yeah. boss man. You know, and then Kubrick actually throws that up in the air after the first scene and it turns yeah. into a white spaceship. Yeah. And what Kubrick was saying there, which was much more eloquent than economists for years and years and years have explained, which is basically that technology and the mastery of technology is what makes humans the animal we are, the species we are. And in fact, it's that ability to solve problems using technology that you could say is the history of humanity yeah. or is one history of humanity, which I presume, Will, is what you guys are saying, is that you know there is the ability out there, there is the technology out there, we have the mastery, we have the set of skills to do it, and it's just basically getting out of our own way or identifying where the bottlenecks are or the residual oppositionism is and, and in a way, sort of humiliating the opposition by highlighting actually what they're trying to do, which is to slow down a chance to change the country. 100%, yeah. Like, we have all of these solutions, like, right in front of ourselves. We just need to get out of our own way. I think, like, technology is, you look, you look at Ireland, like, I mean, we've built a lot of our economic growth in the last 20 years has been on the backs of these technology companies. I think one thing, though, definitely we would like to see more explored from, like, our accelerationist point of view is like a lot of this like technological growth and growth of technology companies in Ireland has been foreign multinationals coming in, which are definitely welcomed given the investment that they bring to the country. But, you know, a lot of our membership come from like the startup community here in Ireland. And we see, you know, even more potential for the next real driver and growth in the technology industry in Ireland to come from indigenous companies. Well, can I just ask you, you know, just if you take an issue and a problem that we're facing at the moment, such as housing, how do you tackle that straight on with this accelerationism? Like, how is how do we solve that overnight? I think um, there's like a lot of solutions there waiting for us on housing. I think one member of our community is working on is um, the street plans idea, which um, I'm sure you might be familiar with, but basically the concept that giving people on streets the uh, opportunity to vote on whether everyone in their street is allowed to add a granny flat onto their home and and extending it out that way extending pairs to smaller groups i think we've seen in other countries as well a technological fix to housing has been the development of adus accessory dwelling units which is effectively a state government would say Anybody that wants can buy this small ADU accessory dwelling unit, which is effectively something that looks a bit like a, a mobile home or a caravan, but it's mm-hmm. it's made for fixed use. It's installed into the ground, it's connected to the mains, it's connected to plumbing. And anybody in our city with homes that match these proportions can install one of these into their back garden and start renting it out. And again, most of these homes are developed by startups in the US that are developing these sorts of homes. And they're, and they're much cheaper, are they? Much, much cheaper, very easy to afford. A lot of them also add financing capabilities. So if you're someone that can't maybe shell out the 150K, which I'm sure most people can't just shell out 150K for something like an ATU. I know I couldn't. They have financing capabilities. So you would finance one off them and then you rent it out and you add more rental supply to the city. And these are adding thousands of units of housing each year. So that's like a startup fix there. Street plans is very much run like a startup. 
that's a nonprofit. So you just have all of this ingenuity, finding crafty solutions on the edges and not just accepting the status quo. I think that's really like at the crux of what yeah. we that air accelerationism, like let's go beyond the status quo. We can find solutions. The missing factor really is just like a bit of self-belief and determination. But I think it's, you know, it's very interesting you talk about even something as simple as putting houses in people's back gardens because Ireland, Irish housing, particularly Irish urban and suburban housing for 40 or 50 years was predicated on gardens, right? And having the back garden. So, you know, if you look, if you, if you take a helicopter view of Ireland, you have all these houses plus gardens, houses plus gardens, all the amenities are there, all the infrastructure is there. And it's just a matter of allowing people to do their own thing in, in a way. 100%. Well, Will, I think fascinating stuff. Where do people who listen to the podcast, where do listeners find you? So I think the best place to follow more about me is uh, on Twitter at Will O'Broy. There you'll see link to my profile, uh, link to the Air Accelerationism Twitter page as well, Era at Era Ac, uh, E-I-R-E-A-C-C. And that's the best place to stay in touch with what we're, what we're doing, what we're getting up to our writing, events that we're hosting or anything else. Great. And John and I go back to talk about the 40th anniversary of the dart, which predates your birth by about two generations. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Great stuff, Will. Excellent stuff. Let's grab a point sometime. Yeah, we'll do that. Take yeah. care. Meet 2024's most anticipated robot vacuum, Eufy X10 Pro Omni. With powerful 8,000 PA suction and MopMaster's dual mop pads, it keeps your floor sparkling clean. It's the winner of five Best of CES awards, and Digital Trends says it boasts almost all the same features as robot vacuums that cost twice as much. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course, and I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from beachside destinations in the Caribbean and Mexico to exotic locations like the Maldives and Morocco, or even the mountain destinations like Japan and the European Alps. Dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. In manufacturing, you need to automate intelligently to compete effectively. But not all automation solutions are created equally. AGVs and AMRs driven by Bluebotics Ant technology offer robust, accurate performance and native interoperability. Because your material handling can be smarter. Visit antdriven.com. That's antdriven.com to learn more. Well, the one thing I have to say about Will, he was brilliant. And apart from his tash, which is fantastic. Well, John, you see, it's the young fellas rock a tash and Muller combo. They do, they do. Maybe we should do that. No, I'm done. I've done that in the in the 80s. I'm done with that. I now. have a red tash and a sort of grey red tash and a grey red mullet. It'd be a bit wispy as well. It'd be, be quite a look, wouldn't it? But go on. But I, I love the thinking. I really do. I, I I love the kind of the forward thinking, the optimism, the positivity, and we absolutely 
need new, fresh thinking. We also thinking. need to bring back nuns with melodians, <laughs> right? We really do. <laughs> Park them. Mark. Yeah, with <laughs> Colleen Jass, Crouching them out. But we, we absolutely need this thinking here in politics and the new generation of politics. But like th- what I was trying to get at with them as well was the, you know, his ideas of, for instance, the example he gave of the ADU, the accessory dwelling unit, which I think is a brilliant idea. Yeah. But it just feels a little small scale. Like, we need this kind of thinking at scale, as the tech bros yeah. say. And we were talking about this many yeah. times. What Our building problem, if you want to pick that as an example, is massive. We need fifty or 60,000 homes yeah. a year. So that's the scale of the business that, or the no, scale you, of the you, problem you that we need You are right. To. You are right. Okay. But there's a thing in economics called the marginal. Right. Mm. And the marginal means the incremental, the extra, the little bit more. Like, where is the marginal? So, the whole mm. about marginal utilities, not absolute utility, you know, marginal production functions, all that mm. sort of stuff. Right. And I get your idea, but you only get to scale. There's two ways of getting to scale. One is the top down, we're going to change the world. And the other is this sort of bottom up thing that you release, like, see, his idea of land, right? And just yeah. even using back gardens, right? Mm. Back gardens as plots for new houses. And these homes he's not talking, they're not showmers. I mean, they can be actually decent homes. Yeah. What he's basically saying is that if you give people the ability to actually take control of their own lives. So again, think about the amount of parents who have kids who don't have anywhere to live. Mm. Now, it's very, very clear that what you should do is it shouldn't be, like my kids don't want to live in our back garden, right? Yeah, yeah. Somebody else's kids might want to live in our back garden. Yeah. And, and vice versa. But the idea is that you make these incrementally small changes. And what you do is it changes and chips away at the infrastructure. Like loads of the Irish infrastructure, loads of the problems are just there because there's what they call sclerosis. Nobody's making any decisions. Mm, and if yes, you wait for right. the big yeah. decisions to be yeah. made, yeah. nothing happens. So what he's saying is you make small decisions. Give the competence of designing, zoning and planning back to the street yeah. rather than wait yeah. for the civil servants and the, you know, you know, the department of this, that and the other. It's quite um, a libertarian idea. It is, it's a liberal idea. I think it's a liberal idea. You give people back competence over their own areas rather than waiting for some big collectivist idea because we know the collectivist stuff doesn't work. And what, yeah. what he's saying is there is a class in the country and there's a generation in the country that is doing very well, thank you very much, for the status quo. And he's talking about, he's 27, he's talking about all his mates emigrating. Can't mm. get a gaff. Or they get a job, let's say, in a large organization and they just think, this is not for me. There's no upward momentum. There's no enthusiasm. There's no energy. There's no optimism, right? And so what I think, I mean, if you go back to the issue of the transport infrastructure, if you look at over the last 40 years, right, the Dublin Rapid Rail Transit Study, 1970, John, even before us almost, right? Three dart lines were proposed, the existing one, one out to the Tala and the Blanche, which we absolutely need, mm. and an underground dart. They were all proposed. Only yeah. one of them was ever built. Not because of Irish Rail, but because of politicians and because of planning. And then we ran out of money. Even Gareth Fitzgerald, and I always think the biggest spooper ever in Irish mm. public life, he's the, Gareth Fitzgerald is the Christine Lagarde of former Irish right. teachers, right? <laughs> Spoofology, yeah. right? He, when the dart was unveiled under his watch, he said, that he wouldn't have financed it because he was obsessed 
by balancing the books, even though he never got to do so. So think about that. The Dart underground and the associated electrification of the Dart was again proposed in 2003. It was abandoned after the crash of austerity, abandoned by politicians, right? And amazingly, when the IMF came in to negotiate with the cuts, they didn't try to defend the infrastructure. What did they try to defend? Other areas, right? You know, if you look at the Cork Area Strategic Plan, there was a major expansion of Cork Commuter Network proposed. Again, the planning permission. So Mm. my point is that it's not Irish Rail that you should blame. It's the political class and the planning that goes associated with that. And if we don't, like, and in fairness, in the last government, this government is trying to accelerate these things. But if we do not build, if we do not accelerate, we decelerate. And to come back to this idea, Ireland is at a perfect golden moment. We have money. Mm. We have the workforce. Mm. We are stable. We have immigrants coming in who want to live here. We've never had a cocktail that is so positive to expand the economy, to grow the entire economy, and to create a much better living standard for everybody else. And what these guys are saying is it's just an attitude problem. Like there's nothing fundamentally wrong in the Irish DNA, John, that says that we cannot build and other countries can. It's completely in our head. It's an attitude change. And I think these guys are onto something. Meet 2024's most anticipated robot vacuum, Eufy X10 Pro Omni. With powerful 8,000 PA suction and MopMaster's dual mop pads, it keeps your floor sparkling clean. It's the winner of five Best of CES awards, and Digital Trends says it boasts almost all the same features as robot vacuums that cost twice as much. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Hi, I'm Kara Berry, host of Everyone's Business But Mine, and I am an all-inclusive addict. Enter Club Med, the best all-inclusive for you and your family. With resorts worldwide from their family flagship resort, Club Med Punta Cana, to their only mountain resort in Canada, Club Med Quebec, they have everything you need to relax. With their 20-plus sports activities, wellness programs, you can dine on delicious cuisine and make memories with your family. So book your next getaway with Club Med. Visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.